Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We'd love for you to join the conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you have a question, please text or email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. And on today's episode, we have a special guest. Let's tune in. Well, a very good afternoon, morning, or evening to you. Welcome to this edition of A Reason for Hope. We are here to tackle your questions on the Word of God. And if our lineup today looks a little bit different than usual, no, it isn't because my right-hand man, protege, all-around good guy, Sean, has shaved his head. <laughs> this or, is, or gained a lot of weight. This is Adrian Van Vactor, uh, who is a really wonderful uh, part of our uh, team, and you've probably seen him before guesting here on the broadcast. Usually, Adrian, when we have you on, we pepper you with questions about uh, your career as a magician, and inevitably we get uh, bombarded with some questions yeah. about how can you have someone who practices the occult arts like Dr. Strange on your program, <laughs> and uh, we go out of our way to explain that's not what you do. In fact, it's the opposite yeah. of what you do. And we can explore that if you are so inclined. We're here to explore your questions on the Word of God. That's what we do each and every day at this time. And this is a uh, uh, listener, viewer-driven program. We want to answer the questions that are on your heart or on your mind regarding the Bible and God's inspired Word and all the issues that flow out of that. We uh, can answer your questions about particular passages in the Bible that maybe have uh, raised more questions for you than have given you answers. Uh, we can even tackle current controversies that uh, can uh, cause uh, a lot of consternation uh, both outside and inside your own circle of Christian friends. you got a few of those that are generated a little bit more heat than light. We'll be happy to take those on. You want to talk about the events of the day, even the events of tomorrow through biblical prophecy, mm -hmm. we are all over it. Uh, all we need uh, for the broadcast to continue is for you to connect up with us uh, with your questions. number of different ways that you can do that. We are available to you on Facebook each and every day at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You can also find our uh, page on YouTube. Uh, again, the Reason for Hope page. Just do a search there, mm -hmm. and uh, we'll be uh, showing up on that. Uh, we are also available on Apple TV and Roku if you have those platforms. We'd like to see us in a little bit uh, bigger format on your uh, 900 square inch yeah. television set. You can do that. Uh, any uh, of these avenues, more than welcome uh, to, to have you here. Uh, there's only one standard for the questions that we answer. Just make sure it's a sincere question. If you're looking for an answer straight from the Bible, we'll be happy to provide it. But before uh, we dive on in uh, any further, Adrian... Uh, Don't forget to download the app in oh, the yeah. iTunes or uh, the uh, Google Play Store. Uh, just search Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and you can download our app where you can access all our content. Yeah, that uh, all in one convenient spot. Or if you're online, uh, just go to calvarychristianfellowship.com and uh, click on the Watch Live, and uh, you can watch us there as well. But before we go any further, uh, as always, uh, a great idea before we work without a net here to uh, call on the name of the Lord yeah, to give us wisdom indeed. and insight and be able to answer not just the presenting questions, but maybe even dig through down to the issues of the heart. Would you like to open right, us up yeah, in a word of prayer? Of course, yeah. yeah. Father, thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity to um, have a microphone like the Internet and Facebook and YouTube. And so long as there allow us to be here, we will be here. So we ask that you would give us the the uh, the right answers to give and that um, we would give us uh, wisdom and grace and, and, and most importantly, that we would glorify you in all that we say and do during this program. So we lift these things up to you in the name and the only name that we can pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, uh, a few things have uh, come up uh, in, the, in the news that we want to touch base on. Uh, fascinating things for sure, and uh, they dovetail with a lot of the questions that we get here on the broadcast. Uh, one of them uh, is a uh, really uh, kind of paradigm-blowing discovery that, that's happened. Uh, as many of you know, we've talked a little bit about the James Webb Telescope. Uh, if you follow our Twitter feed at uh, uh, Scott Richards at Scott R4H on Twitter, we put up some uh, of the pictures that the James Webb Telescope has uh, produced. Actually, the James Webb Telescope uh, operates uh, in the infrared spectrum, so any of the visual pictures they have, they kind of have to doctor They're them up. composites, and, yeah. yeah. But uh, the, the fascinating thing about the James Webb Telescope is that it uh, allows us to be able to see uh, a lot more deeply into the universe than we've really ever been able to see before. 
And uh, that was all greeted with a lot of uh, huzzas and uh, excitement until the results started coming back in. Uh, fascinating uh, article uh, that was uh, run on the hotair.com website today uh, with this headline, Astronomers Looking at Web, What If the Big Bang Didn't Happen? How Our View of Reality Might Change Overnight. Uh, in the article, it says, if the universe has been expanding since its inception 14 billion years ago, the galaxies that are the furthest away from us should appear huge and have a certain amount of red shift in their light. Now, red shift describes uh, the fact that they would be moving away from us. Uh, when you talk about red shift and blue shift, uh, it's kind of like uh, how sound, uh, when something is coming towards you, uh, the, the pitch of the sound as it gets closer seems to go down, and then as mm -hmm. it starts to go away from you, the pitch seems to go up. That, that effect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But with light. <laughs> but with light. So, uh, you know, again, scientists were certain that if we turned this uh, technological marvel, the James Webb Telescope, out there and tried to see as far into the universe as we possibly could, that we would see these galaxies looking huge and having redshift in their light. But what Webb has been showing us is almost exactly the opposite. Uh, and uh, that's a problem for the Big Bang Theory, believe it or not. If the universe was born in a monumental blast with everything traveling outward at incredible speed, all of that matter should still be traveling and expanding. Objects in motion tend to stay in motion, as mm -hmm. we know from physics. But it doesn't appear to be happening. In fact, the universe might not really be expanding at all. Uh, and if it's not expanding, then it probably didn't come from a massive explosion at a single point in the void. If that's the case, where did all this stuff come from? Well, all this new data that's upending the world of astronomy and maybe even quantum physics as well is coming from the James Webb Telescope. Uh, and uh, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, an article written by astronomer Eric J. Lenner, the president and chief scientist of LPP Fusion, an author of a book with a controversial title, The Big Bang Never Happened, mm. uh, said this, To everyone who sees in the new James Webb Telescope images of the cosmos are beautifully awe-inspiring. To most professional astronomers and cosmolo cosmologists, not cosmetologists, but cosmologists, yeah. they, cosmetologists they work on hair. your skin yeah. or <laughs> cut your hair, they are also extremely surprising, not at all what they predicted by theory. In the flood of technical astronomical papers published online since July 12th, the authors report again and again that the images show surprisingly many galaxies, galaxies that are surprisingly smooth, surprisingly small, and surprisingly old. Lots of surprises and not necessarily pleasant one. One paper's title begins with this candid exclamation, panic. <laughs> so, uh, again, the types of galaxies change less quickly than previously believed. Uh, the results suggest the formation of normal galaxy structure was more, much earlier than previously thought. In other words, galaxies have always been galaxies, is what they're seeing the, out there. So that there. the formation process they, is not what we assumed would no, be the case. No, no. And uh, again, uh, what a learner explains, what do uh, the James Webb Space Telescope's image, why do they inspire panic among cosmologists? Why are the theories, uh, predictions uh, are contradicting? Well, the papers don't actually say, but the truth is these papers don't report is that the hypothesis that the James Webb Space Telescope images are blatantly and repeatedly contradicting is the Big Bang hypothesis that the universe began 14 billion years ago in an incredibly hot, dense state has been expanding ever since. Uh, since that hypothesis has been defended for decades uh, as unquestionable truth by the vast majority of theorists in the field, the new data is causing them to panic. Allison Kirkpatrick, an astronomer at the University of Kansas in Lawrence, said, right now I find myself lying awake at 3 in the morning and wondering if everything I've done is wrong. So, you know, again, this idea that, uh, that uh, the Big Bang is in serious trouble because these images just simply don't fit the predictions. I, I was watching a, uh, an old video of Richard Feynman, who was one of the uh, uh, physicists that worked on the Manhattan Project, and he was um, interviewing um, all these freshly scrubbed people with large dark glasses at Cornell University about mm -hmm. 1960. He was talking about the scientific method 
and what it is and what it isn't. Mm. And uh, what he said is uh, far from the claims that we sometimes hear from science and scientists is that science really can't tell you and the scientific method can't tell you really anything positive. It can only tell you things that are wrong. You know, you can eliminate truth claims by using the scientific method, but uh, uh, you can make truth claims that are so nebulous and so vague mm. uh, that uh, they can't really be disproven so by the scientific method. You can only method. disprove theories or hypotheses by putting it to the test, and then once you find out that one doesn't work, then you go on to the, the next theory, and it remains a theory until it gets disproven. Right. Yeah. It, the, the only thing that we really can know for sure are the things that uh, we can determine by the scientific method, that is, things that are observable, testable, and repeatable mm. in experiment. But even with that, what Feynman pointed out is that we might think that we've covered all the bases, but there may be all kinds of explanations for these things that we think mm -hmm. are facts that really aren't facts after all. Uh, you know, I, I can't help but think uh, uh, reading uh, about all of this uh, is that, uh, you know, there was a uh, article that was written by Dr. Robert Jastrow. Uh, he was a scientist at the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, California, that talked about uh, Big Bang cosmology and all the implications mm -hmm. that were involved. But the final uh, uh, paragraph of his article was fascinating. He said, for the scientists today, the discoveries we're making all end up like a bad dream. Here is a scientist who has devoted his entire life to scaling the mountains of ignorance. He is about to pull himself over the last ledge, only to discover at the top four theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> so, I've heard that before. So uh, kind of a fascinating thing, you know, and, and a couple of uh, things that, that come out of this. Uh, you know, when people say, oh, so you're questioning the Big Bang. Well, okay. Scientists are questioning the Big Bang, you know, and, and uh, one of the things that I think we as believers in Christ need to be very careful of is that in our desire to build bridges with non-believers, we want to share with them that believing in Jesus doesn't mean committing intellectual suicide. Mm -hmm. You don't have to check your brain at the door right. in order to be a believer. And as such, there are entire ministries that are really kind of based on the idea of taking the message of the Bible sort of folding, spindling, and mutilating it a little bit to be able to fit in with what scientific consensus is. The Concordism. Yeah, the, the, the problem that we run into with all of that uh, is that uh, scientific certainties are constantly changing. Uh, if something as fundamental as the Big Bang is set aside because of the evidence from the James Webb Telescope, Oh, what is going to happen to all of the volumes and volumes and volumes, not just of, uh, of papers and positions and uh, compens compensated positions mm. that scientists have hung their hat on, but what's going to happen to these ministries, do you think, that have, in a sense, taken a departure from a grammatical, historical, and literal interpretation of, say, the first two chapters of Genesis, mm -hmm and replaced it with this overlay of a Big Bang cosmology. Well, I imagine there'll be some retractions. I imagine there might be. It depends on how the development of this, <clears throat> these, this new data, how it evolves. I know that the one quote, the, the physicist who was quoted in saying the learner, not the learner guy, but the other one said that they were taken out of context or something. But um, I, I would imagine like, for example, there's one ministry that just said, no, 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 um, the Homo sapiens sapiens and the uh, other upright creatures that young earth creationists would typically say are all humans, like Neanderthals, right. would just vehemently defended the idea that we're entirely different species and have had now to retract now that there's concrete evidence that they are not a separate species of upright bipedals that they're actually homo sapiens right just right different you know, <laughs> a fascinating detail and this could explain a lot to you uh, i got a, a, a text from my uh, mom beforehand and she's gotten into uh the uh you know uh, ancestry.com and 23andme mm. and all of this stuff and as uh, she said i don't know how to break this to you but part of our ancestry includes D uh, neanderthal dna so if you've been a 
uh, wondering why we I, or I personally say certain things. You've got something to hang your hat on there. Yeah, we all do, <laughs> and and some people more than others. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It comes out in the wash, doesn't it? But but the the, the fascinating thing in all of this is is that uh, you know, like you say, there's certain ministries that uh, have tried to, I think, with good intentions. Mm-hmm want to build bridges with non-believers by using non-believing terminology, hanging scriptural hats on the latest and greatest scientific theory uh, as if it were fact. Mm-hmm. Um, those who say that there's no uh, contradiction, the Biologos site that tries to say there's yeah. no contradiction between... Um, Fear evolution. You know, goo to you by way of yeah. the zoo evolution, <laughs> macro evolution, you want to use those terms, and, and a biblical worldview. You know, do you think it's time, you know, we talk about science being humbled by these kind of discoveries. Um, You know, first of all, uh, two things I would say about this. Number one, uh, never underestimate the ability of proud, pride-driven man to, um, for lack of a better term, obfuscate, do a soft shoe, uh, say, oh, look, a squirrel over here. Uh, You know, really, this doesn't really mean what you think it means. Uh, you know, a few years back, I thought there was a complete paradigm-shifting discovery when uh, Dr. Mary Schwartz and uh, the uh, researchers at Montana State University uh, cut open yeah, uh, the, the uh, leg bone of a T-Rex, T-Rex yeah. only to discover that there was collagen, there was hemoglobin, uh, there were incredibly uh, complex DNA-based structures in a fossil that uh, they swore up and down was 54 million years old. Well, science also tells us that DNA, being an incredibly complex molecule, uh, breaks down. Can't survive. Can't survive more than 10,000 years uh, at the outside unless Mm -hmm. there's some really extraordinary circumstances. Well, I thought that when that happened, maybe we're going to have to revisit whether the dinosaurs really did die out 54 million years ago. But wait, they said, well, you know, uh, we've decided there is an unknown preserving process Hmm. in the DNA molecule that has allowed these DNA structures to be preserved for 54 million years, although we would have sworn up and down before they sought open that leg bone of the T-Rex, such a thing couldn't happen. Mm -hmm. They say science is learning all the time. Sounds like God of the gaps, except (laughs) this one's wearing a lab coat. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I thought silly me, that uh, since science, or scientism, I guess we could call it, claims that they're going to follow the evidence wherever it leads, we have no prejudices, we just want the facts, we Mm. just want the truth, I thought, well, you know, you're going to see people like Dr. Schwartz and others going, well, maybe those people that answers in Genesis were onto something there, but you'd be wrong. You know, they just come up with this, there's an unknown process that we still have yet to determine that will back up our theory. Even with the Big Bang Theory, and I've always been a bit of a backyard astronomer, so I've followed these things from an admittedly amateurish uh, perspective. But even with the Big Bang Theory, the only way you can make a Big Bang cosmology, an explanation of the universe, shake out is to introduce something into the universe that no one has ever seen and science has never verified. They call it dark energy and dark matter. You know why they call it dark? can't see it you can't see it it or (laughs) measure it or evaluate it but it's the thing that makes their equations fall out therefore it must exist even though we have no scientific observation to confirm that it exists they see an effect but no cause and they think well there's got to be something doing doing this so we'll just call it dark matter and dark energy yeah so but if you say to them that the universe is not an uncaused effect that it was like every effect that we know has a cause. Mm-hmm. In order to have a cause, uh, a, an effect, you have to have a cause, and you have to have mm-hmm. a sufficient enough cause to create a universe, not only as vast as this universe that we live in is, but also as intricate and complex as mm-hmm. this universe is, which would imply a cause that is vast, more powerful than the universe that we can ma- uh, yep. imagine, and also has to be, dare I use the word, intelligent. And transcendent. <clears throat> yeah, exactly, and intelligent, smart. Yeah. 
I mean, there is enough information in the chains of letters and DNA to fill 800 Bibles. And I just had twins. And when I see that level of complexity and realizing that there's more coded information in, in one DNA strand in my, my twin boy's body than 800 Bibles of information. And as uh, Bill Gates once said, information doesn't write itself. Code does not write itself. It's written by intelligence. Windows operating system was it created by intelligent beings who were able to just take two letters, uh, ones and zeros, and create code to make all the devices work the way they work and uh, way more complex in, in DNA. Yeah, so uh, the, the, the bottom line is this, you know, the, the jury is still out. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, even uh, the uh, remark uh, that uh, was made uh, by uh, uh, Allison Kirkpatrick, uh, she's backpedaling on that, saying I was taken yeah. out of context. Right, right. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure contextually. Right now, I find myself lying awake at 3 in the morning and wondering if everything I've done is wrong. I'm not sure the old I was taken out of context yeah. Uh, fits all of that. But be that as it may, uh, I think you're going to see a, a lot of people, unfortunately, who are financially and professionally and personally invested hmm. in this theory, do everything they can to save their jobs. And I think we saw the same thing with uh, the uh, Montana, Montana State University discovery right, yeah. of collagen and, and uh, hemoglobin in a T-Rex. Uh, we can't have that because if in fact, this T-Rex is no older than 10,000 years. Well, and those crazy a, creationists that answers in Genesis may just be right. Right, yeah. Our, our ministry president is a, a very, very, he's a Ph.D. biologist, and he's a, a very strong proponent of a young earth creationist view. And, and uh, when I listen to his presentation, I'm just dumbfounded. And I think, how, how do people in fields like biology and geology respond to this. Now, I, as a light person, struggle because, like many of us, we're just sitting on the sidelines kind of watching these discussions happen, and we don't know uh, other than we know to put our trust in Scripture. And so in the end, we realize that um, we are uh, amazingly and incredibly and intelligently designed. That is self-evident. And so we just kind of go with our gut experience that when, when you see something that's designed intelligently, it's most likely created by an intelligent being. <laughs> and we should just kind of go with that. I was jokingly talking to my wife. Uh, we, I was on my fourth tour in Egypt, and she had never been. So I said, hey, well, we'll let's go to the pyramids and do the whole touristy thing for a day. Sure. And I just jokingly, but with a real straight face, said, isn't it amazing how those pyramids over tens of thousands of years formed from just sandstorms and such. But, and I guess the look on my face was so straightforward. She looked at me and she went, nah, like as if I was being serious. <laughs> yeah. And, and I would often use that as my primary argument for God's existence is that, you know, something as simple, although it's not simple, the pyramids are actually quite amazing, but you would never look at something like that and just assume that it happened by accident over time. And that's the premise for the theory of evolution and Big Bang cosmology is that we are a cosmic accident with no intended purpose, no intended beginning. We just got lucky and happened to get the right roll of a dice. And nothing in human experience or in day-to-day -day observation would confirm that something like that would ever be possible in, in any yeah. imaginable set of circumstances. And yet, that's what we're taught in schools since day one, that we're cosmic accidents and that there is no intelligent creator God behind our existence. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we ought to approach apologetics and providing answers. It's, you know, I used to pride myself in being always able to give the right answer, especially as an evangelist. I'd spend more of my time talking with non-Christians, lots of atheists and and I would use the principle of causality as an argument for God's existence. Well, nothing that comes to exist can do so without a cause. If anything comes to be, it has a cause. The, Bi the, the Bible says the universe came to be, so it's got to have a cause. And as far as I know, the universe had a beginning. 
And I don't need Big Bang cosmology to know that. Um, things, you know, just looking at the laws of thermodynamics, we know that eventually it's going to it's gonna cool off and die, but um, it, it hasn't done that yet. And so, you know, it's really easy to, to conclude that the, that the universe has a beginning. And what's funny is that it was the anti-theists who were fighting tooth and nail to argue for a static state version of the universe, the idea that it's just sitting there and not doing anything. Yeah, the old uh, can't Laplace theory. Yeah, yeah and, and as more as more research has been done, they with the red shift and Hubble and his telescope, and they, uh, you know, not wrongfully, but they just assume, well, the red shift must mean that we're in an expanding universe. And so if you take a pebble and throw it in some water and you see the ripples going out, and all you can see is the ripples, but you didn't see the pebble getting thrown. It's not an illogical conclusion that someone threw a pebble in the pond, and I'm seeing the ripples, the right. effect of that. Right. And that's essentially what Big Bang cosmology is based on. But to to argue to that level of certainty, uh, I had a similar experience not too recently, but I going back to Genesis one one, in the beginning God right. created the heavens and the earth the earth was formless and so on and so so verse one and two and i i was convinced that it was a the statement in verse one was an independent clause that's what i had been taught by quote unquote hebrew linguists and scholars saying that it's a declarative statement in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth right well and then pause now a new thought fast forward now the earth was formless and so they're two independent right. concepts and now there are Hebrew scholars saying that they're dependent clauses, that it's saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, or something like that. And they're actually now coming up with Bible translations that are changing it. And so for people who aren't Hebrew scholars, it's terribly frustrating. Right, right. Well, you know, there's the, uh, the old saying, uh, figures don't lie, but liars figure. Um, mm. You know, I, I, I tell people... Uh, Full disclosure, I have a three-year master's degree with an emphasis in biblical languages from Talbot Theological Seminary. I'm in the right place. I, I had to endure two full years of Greek and one year of Hebrew. And, you know, I, I think if anything we've seen from the Big Bang cosmology thing, uh, as soon as someone puts themselves forward and say, well, you know, I've, I've had master's level classes in this, uh, therefore you need to pay attention to me because I've studied more than you. Uh, if you join uh, Sean and Peter for their uh, lessons in rhetoric, that is called the appeal to authority fallacy. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I've sat in these classes, and I did my homework, and they used to give us 150 Greek vocabulary words to memorize a week. Uh, man, it was, it was a grind. Uh, Hebrew, to me, was even more challenging because my brain is sort of wired to think like a Greek. Mm. Um, you know, our language, you know, romance languages, as they are called, uh, are in a sense based on Latin because of the Roman Empire, but Latin was all based on Greek. Mm. And Greek, you know, Alexander the Great's takeover and, and the, uh, the effect of Greek culture, you know, very structured language, you know, very precise. You learn the rules, you learn the vocabulary, you can do it, mm. you know, you just punch things in. It's like learning Spanish hmm. or, you know, Italian, uh, the, the other languages that are related. Very easy for an English speaker to learn those languages because the grammar is the hmm. same. You just have to learn new so vocabulary they... and, and you, you got the rules and the structure. Hmm. But Hebrew, on the other hand, is a Semitic language, which has no connection whatsoever to Greek thought. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I... I would just, you know, it was like, you know, is this a Hithphiel stem or Hophal stem, and what does this have to do with this and the other? And I became convinced that the real reason that Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians was because the poor guard on the wall couldn't figure out if it was a Hithphiel stem or a Hophal stem <laughs> when he was trying to yell, look out, and, and, funny. and the thing, that I, I, I kid, I kid. But Hebrew is a beautiful language, and it's very contextual. It's very vivid. It's very poetic. It's very descriptive. Uh, you know, uh, Greek, I think, is very directive. It's very precise. But uh, for the, the fact that what we were dealing with in the Old Testament, 
what were pictures of what God did in history and these vivid things mm-hmm. that, that God did. Perfect language to be able to describe mm-hmm. these things. However, I will say this, and this is the dirty little secret that you discover from studying biblical languages on a graduate level. Mm-hmm. Here's the dirty little secret. If someone comes to you and says, this is my interpretation, say, for instance, of Genesis 1 and 2, and you need to listen to me because I'm a Hebrew scholar, don't listen to them. Hmm. I have not come across, and I'm willing to be corrected here, uh, kind of like the Big Bang cosmologist, I haven't (laughs) seen it happen yet, but I am willing to be corrected here, but I have never seen in my entire ministry career any passage of Scripture that cannot be properly understood by taking a look at it in the excellent translations we have today, Mm -hmm. looking at it in its grammatical, historical, uh, cultural background, you know, how would a person who was reading this at the time of Moses understand mm-hmm. what was being said here? Now, obviously, God can say things that are beyond our understanding. Obviously, we're dealing with, with God inspiring mm-hmm. that book. But if someone comes to you and says, you can't understand this unless you've had uh, a year of graduate Hebrew, they're woofing. Well, that's it, comforting. It, 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 <laughs> just, it, it, it just ain't so. Um, you know, if you apply the same basic questions they taught us in journalism school uh, as to how to report a Mm -hmm. particular event. Who, what, where, when, and why. You take a look at a passage of Scripture and you answer those questions. Um, You use the resources that we have available to be able to help answer those questions. Mm. There is no passage of Scripture that you yourself cannot understand, because understand something. You know, it's like the book of Revelation. Why did God give us the book of Revelation? It wasn't to confuse us. It was to reveal to us what his truth was all about. Uh, we, we get that mixed up sometimes, especially when we come to the, the book of Revelation. It's the only book with a blessing for those yeah. who read it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's got seven blessings, and we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. But the, the, the bottom line is this, is if you take your good old New King James Version Bible and uh, take a look at Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Bara Bereshith Elohim Hashemayim Wahaharts in Hebrew. Mm. Um, and you take a look. It sounds beautiful. You, you, know, you take a look <laughs> at the next line, and the earth was without form and void. Well, what you discover is a structure in there, and you see it laid out all the way through the Old Testament. Hebrew reporting of history will usually begin with an overarching statement of what is going on, and then the details will be filled in. A lot of the Proverbs are worded that way. Yeah, exactly. And uh, in fact, even the Gospel of John is structured that way. Hmm. It begins with this explanation of who Jesus is and what he came to do, and then suddenly, boom, you go, there came from God a man named John. Hmm. Okay, I've told you about the Word becoming flesh, dwelling among us, we saw his glory, now I'm going to tell you about his glory. You know, very Hebrew way of, of reporting these kind mm. of events. Same thing happens in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, there are all kinds of people that will say, well, Genesis 1 and 2 contradict each other. No, they don't, not at all from a Hebrew point of view. In fact, Genesis 1, the best way to understand that is you've got the overarching statement, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then you see how God created the heavens and the earth. Mm. And then in chapter 2 we discover this telescoping down from the... Uh, yeah, the, like a zoom in. The uh, genealogy, this one uh, interesting Hebrew word shows up. It's the word toledoth, the, uh, the genealogy, if you will, of the heavens and the earth. It's first given to us there. And then you see it repeated from, you know, the table of the nations, from Abraham, from Isaac, from Jacob. These are the generations mm-hmm. of, and so forth. So you've got the creation of the heavens and the earth, and then you have the explanation of how man came into this in not contradictory detail, but in minute detail. You're telescoping down again, getting more detail there. So when you understand these things, Hmm. you know, you don't have to fall into kind of the, uh, well, you know, we can wedge, you know, a a Big Bang into the midst of all of this. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the gap theory, as it was known. uh, Didn't they try to put that between verses 1 and 2, the gap theorists? Yeah, and they'd say, you know, in between God creating the heavens and the earth, they will say that the Hebrew word there, hayah, can mean made. 
formless and void. It became formless and void. Uh-huh. And boy, once you, you go there, Katie, bar the door, because uh, then suddenly you get into, okay, how did it become formless and void? Because, you know, the scripture says God didn't create the, uh, the world to be formless and void in Isaiah, but made it to be inhabited. So there must have been a pre-Adamic race that fell. And the reason that uh, water covered the entire earth was there was a pre-Adamic flood that wiped everybody out when Satan fell. And, mm-hmm. and that's what was happening. And God was kind of picking up the pieces and trying to make up for that mistake. And, and theology and history wrapped up into one empty space well, between verses. Well, yeah, <laughs> an argument from silence, we might call that. But people build this whole structure on it. You know, to me, when the natural sense makes sense, seek no other sense lest you believe in nonsense, as uh, yeah. some have said. So you know, we, have to, we, we have to be very careful about that. So we're, we're seeing that, and we see, you know, if you're a believer in Christ, hey, God love you for wanting to reach out to non-believers with, uh, with building bridges and say, oh, you can believe in the Big Bang, and you can believe in, uh, in Genesis at the same time. I get off that train, and, and I've even seen this happen work out practically. Uh, a friend of mine uh, was an avowed atheist, uh, retired attorney, loved nothing more than to argue. Since I was raised by an avowed atheist who was also an attorney, it felt like old home week to me. So we'd have all these ongoing uh, conversations and stuff. And one day, this guy came up to me. I was working out at the gym, and uh, I was running on the treadmill, and he just looked so happy with himself. He just looked like the cat that ate the canary. And he said to me, well, I was just in the sauna with this guy who was a pastor, and he told me, you can believe in Genesis and evolution at the same time. And I just kind of rolled my eyes and went, okay, here we go. And I put the treadmill on pause and thought, you know, here comes this big debate that's going to go on here. And my friend put his hand in his hips and he goes, that made me sick. And I went, what? And he said, well, yeah, because anybody who's read Genesis chapter one knows you can't shoehorn evolution in there. He goes, I completely disagree with you. But at least you're consistent. Hmm. Interesting. And you know, I could see this at pastor. Least he's read it enough to know that. <laughs> well, true. but I could see this pastor trying to say, "Oh, I better build a bridge with this yeah, guy and yeah. not not die on this hill and so on." You know, here's the bottom line. You know what non-believers want from us as believers to stand for something, back, to actually backbone. stand for the truth. We claim that we know Jesus, who's the embodiment of truth. Hmm. Do we stand for him? You know, do we stand for that truth? And, uh, you know, it's just funny how, uh, you know, all these various theories and, and speculations have, have come uh, down the line. And uh, one of the biggest mistakes that Bible-believing Christians have made has been to try to jump on the bandwagon. Stick to the Scripture. Stick to what the Bible clearly teaches. And then whether the Big Bang Theory is thrown out, mm. uh, whether they turn around and say, oh, well, we forgot to uh, carry the two and the hypotenuse of this equation yeah. over here, and you know, or pay no attention to the James Webb Space Telescope. We really still... No, it, it doesn't matter. What matters is uh, God is the maker and the creator of the heavens mm. and the earth. The Bible indicates that he did it in six literal solar days. Uh, no way around that linguistically, without really having to do handsprings. Um, could God do that? Yeah. Did God do that? I believe he did. I believe that makes a lot more sense than trying to keep up with the latest, greatest theories that come mm-hmm. down the line. And, so, he's t- and he's telling that to an uh, on-the-fence old Earth creationist, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, that's that, that's that's the uh, the gist of that. Uh, one other thing I wanted to, to mention to you as far as uh, uh, interesting things in the news. Uh, headline caught my eye. Oh. Uh, it said, uh, is Amazon One the mark of the beast? Oh, right. This is the... Uh, the hand P- scan. <laughs> this is the, the PJ Media website. For those of you who don't know about Amazon One, uh, Amazon One uh, will allow you to make purchases with biometric data in the palm of your hand. Uh, what that means is that uh, on the Amazon One website, uh, you are invited to go there and unlock uh, the world with your palms. Uh, they say, meet Amazon One, the fast, convenient, contactless identity service that uses your palm. Just hover to enter, identify, and pay simply by being you. You can breeze through your day anytime, anywhere. You can choose to use the service when and if you want for now. Uh, again, what 
happens on the see it, how it works page is there's a little disc like structure and uh, this is coming to Whole Foods uh, in right. California. Yeah, they're, they, they're, Amazon owns Whole yeah, Foods. They're, they're doing a, a test run on this. But it, it looks like a magnifying glass upside down in a black case. And if you want to participate, all you have to do is take your right hand, hold it over this for a span of about 10 seconds, and it will read all the biometric data in your, your hand, even down to the position of your blood vessels and so on. And then once you have that, you can link your biometric data to a website provided by Amazon that will let you pay for everything without the inconvenience of actually reaching into your back pocket and getting out your wallet and having to use a card. All you'll have to do is wave your, and it's so weird, uh, Russell Brand, the, yeah, uh, the comedian, uh, you probably saw I that saw earlier. That he, he went to town on this sort of thing. But one of the things he pointed out was all the friendly people who are showing you how to do that all have the same gesture when they talk about it. It's something like this. <laughs> And he goes, doesn't that seem somewhat familiar? Yeah, like, see, Kyle, you know. <laughs> so the big question comes, and I'll throw this out to you, Adrian. Is Amazon One the mark of the beast? And if not, why not? Well, first of all, <laughs> just think about that statement logically. The mark of the beast implies that there's an actual mark placed on your person. This is not marking you. It's simply reading your palm print in is such a sophisticated way that it would be difficult to fool it into thinking you're somebody else and therefore stealing your stuff or your money. So that would be my first response is that I, I've always thought the mark of the beast implied an actual marking of some sort. Yeah. And well, they would say that, you know, by submitting to the biometric uh, data. And by the way, the real scary thing about all of this is that all of your purchases and your social security number, everything that goes with that, they say, oh, don't worry, uh, we will protect it because it goes to the cloud. Oh, yeah, the cloud is so secure. Well, whenever I hear the cloud, <laughs> I automatically think of real vagueness. Like uh, the cloud's not hackable, the cloud. Right. Uh, and Amazon, uh, boy, you know, there was some, uh, some really interesting things about how Amazon's even um, a doorbell camera Mm -hmm. um, Amazon um, sold or transferred information on their yeah. doorbell cameras to the FBI and the CIA without the uh, owner's permission. The old uh, Amazon uh, went out and bought the Roomba, the uh, the little, little uh, vacuum cleaner, vacuum cleaner uh, and loaded it up with all kinds of sensors so that that little thing running around your house can tell those that have access to it, and it's online, uh, you know, the, the dimensions of your house. Uh, it can analyze, uh, 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 like, uh, little uh, crumbs and things like that that fall onto your carpet. Uh, it can tell them an awful lot about what's going on, and they have not been shy about sharing that information uh, to the point where it was almost a scandal. Yeah. So if you trust Amazon with that sort of thing, that's between you and, and your conscience. I'll live in the dark ages. But <laughs> here's the bottom line. You know, uh, I, it was interesting. I read an interesting article on the PJ Media uh, website about this. And the fellow said, you know, I've been around long enough to remember when the UPC codes were mm -hmm. first uh, brought in, you know, the scanning of yeah. things at the, the grocery. Everybody thought that was the mark of the beast. Yeah, there was a 666 yeah, in, the, in yeah. the code. At yeah, the end, you, could, you, could, and... you could take a look at that. But uh, didn't turn out to be the mark of the beast. Now, why do I not believe that Amazon One is the mark? I don't, the, the, the wisdom of putting all your information online uh, is another issue. And that's something you got to work through yeah. yourself. But one thing that can really keep you from getting uh, unnecessarily riled up or fearful when these kind of stories break, because, you know, let's face it, it generates clicks and hits and mm -hmm. things like that on the internet when you make these kind of claims. And, you know, an awful lot of, uh, I think, maybe sometimes well-meaning, meaning maybe not so well-meaning Christian ministries will try to trade on this stuff. But if you really want a scripture that I think will allow you to discern the difference between mm -hmm. the mark of the beast and any technological advancement that is coming up, in Revelation chapter 14, after the mark of the beast... Uh, the worldwide economic system is implemented. 
an angel has a really important warning for anybody still considering at that point in the tribulation. Am I going to go along with this or am I not? In verse 9 of Revelation 14, we're told, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Now notice, to receive the mark of the beast, you have to worship the beast. Hmm. In other words, nobody is going to take the mark of the beast accidentally. Oops. It's right. not going to be just because, oh, man, I, I didn't listen to a reason for hope that day when they were talking about <laughs> Amazon One. I, you know, I, I just wasn't informed enough. Um, no, nobody is going to take the mark of the beast accidentally. You're going to have to swear your allegiance to the beast, much like in ancient Rome. You were required to swear allegiance to Caesar as God. Mm -hmm. You will have to swear allegiance to the Antichrist and worship him as God in order to receive that mark. Uh, and so uh, are, are some of these technological breakthroughs a move toward that kind of worldwide dominating technology? Certainly. Uh, Definitely you, makes the possibility of a one-world governmental system able to adequately control the buying and selling of individuals through technology without having black market currencies and so on or black market trading a lot more possible. Yeah, and uh, you know, as far as even the worldwide persecution, the Antichrist is going to bring in about anybody that's not going along. Uh, as soon as you buy into these systems, uh, well, they have complete access to all of your online history. Any tweet that you put up, anything uh, you put up on Facebook, any likes that you had of certain posts and stuff like that, they can use their algorithm. And mm -hmm. you know, right now, it's scary to me uh, how sometimes I will just, uh, you know, take a look at, uh, you know, some, some doodad, you know, for, for right. golf or something. Mm -hmm. And then the next time I go online, all of the ads, no matter where I go, whatever website I'm on, whatever podcast I'm looking at, suddenly it's golf this and yeah. golf that and golf for right-handed golfers who don't hit the ball as far as they wanted to. And, you know, like, how'd they figure yeah. all that stuff out? I was on a tech site and it was giving me ads on the best baby bottle nipples. Yeah. How did it know? How yeah. did it know that I even had twins and was actually needing to think about, do we need more bottles or not? Do we need a baby carrier? Oh, but Everywhere Adrian, I go, it's Adrian, ads about babies. <laughs> Adrian, they know. They know. So, you know, the bottom line is, are these things a step in that direction? I think we'd be foolish to say that they're not. But if you are worried that by using, you know, Amazon One, uh, that somehow you've condemned yourself to a Christless eternity, uh, don't worry about that. The mark of the beast, when it comes, understand this, Satan, he is subtle, but he's also arrogant. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that we see in Revelation chapter 13 about the rise of the Antichrist that indicates subtlety is going to be a part yeah. of his program. There's it's not going to be an accidental worshiper of the beast or Satan's system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So don't let these things rile you. Don't let them freak you out. Uh, just realize that uh, it does tell us when we see these things begin to happen, look up or your salvation draws near mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, but uh, don't let uh, somebody, uh, and, and I'm sure you're going to see all kinds of posts along this line, don't let somebody uh, steal your peace mm. by uh, saying, this is it. This is mm. the mark of the beast. Uh, we're still here. The Antichrist, as such, cannot reveal himself as such mm -hmm. until we are gone at the rapture, Second Thessalonians chapter mm -hmm. 2, if you want to dig more into that. Uh, there's an awful lot of little Antichrists running a lot around, deceptive individuals yeah. and power-hungry uh, politicians. But uh, when the big A Antichrist shows up, it's mm -hmm. not going to be subtle. And, and remember, God loves you, and greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's right. If no one can snatch him out of your hand, and your heart belongs to Christ, you don't need to worry about looking behind every bush to find something that might cause you to fall away in terms of getting a stamp on your hand or something that may think you that you might be eternally condemned because of that uh, blind, ignorant decision you may have made. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, again... 
we do like to keep you up to date on the uh, the latest that's going on prophetically and in the news. So Yeah, and speaking about peace and the Christian life, uh, Mark asked on our YouTube channel a reason for hope if you haven't had a chance to see the program on YouTube. Uh, uh, please like and subscribe and share because that helps boost our audience, and that's the whole goal is to encourage more and more people to uh, chime in with their questions and, and for us to be able to minister to them. But Mark Hill asks, how could I produce good fruit rather than bad with the right mentality? I find it mentally challenging. Thanks. Well, I would say uh, that one of the greatest challenges I think I've faced in the Christian life is realizing that Christianity is a relationship with God, and it's not a religion. Mm. And uh, when we get involved with religion, what we, in essence, are saying is this. I have to do certain things in order to be right with God. And uh, boy, when you start reading the Sermon on the Mount, and you start to see Jesus defining those certain things— as things that have to do with attitudes, not just our actions, but even our attitudes have to mm. be right with God. If you don't understand why Jesus was pointing that out and what the Christian life is all about, you can get involved with some serious spiritual tail chasing mm. that is going to pretty much rob you of your joy and keep you from being a witness. Now, this is what I mean by that. When we talk about the life that goes on in our mind, uh, Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable form of, of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may approve what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, notice the language there is ongoing. It doesn't mean that the moment we become a Christian, we suddenly have this perfect and pristine mind that only thinks positive thoughts, that only processes things biblically, right? The moment we become believers in Christ, God begins a work in us to transform us and to make us into the image and likeness of Christ in every area of our lives, mm. including our thought life. Now, how does God transform our thought life? Well, first, by giving us the Holy Spirit and having an indwelling divine person living in us. Yeah, leading us into all truth, for sure. Mm -hmm. But how else can we renew our minds? Well, by putting our minds on things that are positive and godly rather than dwelling on things, and by the nature of the passage, you know, by offering your bodies a living sacrifice, you're saying that I'm going to die to myself, I'm going to humble myself ongoing, continuously. I, Paul said, I die daily. He didn't say, I died way back then, and now everything's been smooth sailing. He says, I die daily. I, I buffet my body. I Basically, I'm a boxer with my body to, so that I can make it my slave. And so it's an ongoing sacrifice of our own will and our own um, selfish uh, gathering of our own lives together and putting God outside. It's a, that's why it's, it's so good that you pointed out that you know Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a dynamic walk with a real person, a living being. It's difficult because I can relate to Scott in a different way than I can to God, but it's a personal relationship. And so just as I would say, gosh, you know, I really was encouraged by that the other day, or, you know, I'm really struggling with this, um, you know, as a real friend. Right. We relate to God on that level, and that's what God desires of us. That's why he created us to have that with him. Yeah, and, you know... Uh as far as the battle for our mind goes, I think that's one of the toughest struggles that we have mm -hmm. when we become Christians because, you know, let's face it, we have years of learning how to think selfishly instead of thinking in the way that God wants us to think. Uh, we have uh, constant bombardment by all mm -hmm. kinds of media that's trying to squeeze us in yeah. to the world's mold. But here is a couple of things I would share with you, Mike, that I think you'll find very Careful encouraging. What you put in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Number one, um, God's word is powerful, more powerful than our past, more powerful than all of the presentations that try to squeeze us into the world's mold. Uh, you know, we are told that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How 
Can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word, David said in Psalm 119. So the more I renew my mind on God's word, the more I'm going to experience, in a sense, God deprogramming me from a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. that is really destructive and reprogramming me so I learn to look at life the way he does. Uh, the other thing that I would really encourage you to think through, Mike, is this. Oftentimes, I know that like for years, I just kind of had this sort of victim mentality like, oh, man, I've got so much junk that's been programmed into my brain, you know? I mean, uh, you know, I tell people uh, I, I can quote the entire uh, catalog of the monkeys, all the lyrics, you know, uh, but I can't remember something important from the Bible that I read last week, you know, and, and I just thought, you know, I've got so much junk from the world in there. Mm. Is there any hope for me? Mm. Well, here's the deal. Uh, when we fall into that trap of, of thinking to ourselves, Mike, that there is no hope, that we're always going to be this way, that's a lie from the pit. At the minute that you and I gave our lives to Jesus, God begins a process called sanctification, which makes us more like Christ each mm. and every day, not just physically, not just emotionally, but also mentally. Uh, you know, the other thing that we need to understand is, is that we're not victims of all this programming. We can be victors if we get it in our minds that God wants to change the way we think. He wants us to learn to think and look at life through the lens of a relationship with him. And, you know, a really great passage, you know, I would really encourage you to meditate on, maybe and commit to memory, is in Philippians chapter mm. 4 and verse 8. Here Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, anything worthy of praise, let your mind think, literally dwell on, meditate on these things. So, you know, I, I need to take a step back and say, all right, am I renewing my mind? Am I proactively uh, putting up a grid, in a sense, where I look at life through those characteristics in Philippians 4.8? Mm. Or am I letting the world still, you know, program me? Uh, you know, some people say, oh, you know, but those are like eight different things, and how in the mm. world am I going to be able to remember all these things? Well, pure, lovely, noble, just, good report, doesn't that describe Jesus? Mm-hmm. You know, so if we focus on him and the way he looks at life and what he has to say about life and uh, the way we should uh, progress in terms of even renewing our minds, if we come to him in prayer and say, Lord, renew my mind, you know, change the way I think, help me to think more like you, I think the Lord's going to answer that prayer. Well, Mm. it looks like we're up against it. Yeah, we're out of time. Thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you same place, same time uh, tomorrow. Yeah, and uh, we'll be uh, diving deep into God's greatest blessing that you'll find in the book of Revelation tonight. Join us at 6.30. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.